Well, last week, we were at the Temple Plaza. A huge gathering place. And thousands had come from all the known world to observe Pentecost. It was a festival. It was, it was a celebration. And these people loved to party. They were not going to miss out. It, picture your Christmas Eve, if, if that's where you really dive in, right? It's kind of that element. All the decorations were up. People were dressed up. The process and the traditions were, were fully active. But see, something different was going to happen this day. Something was going to interrupt the process. And it was the giving of the Holy Spirit. And from this moment forward, man's interaction and relationship with God would never be the same. At the moment of the fulfillment of Jesus' promises, and the promises through His prophets in the Old Testament, to the moment of the conviction and the personal marking of God in each individual believer's life, the fulfillment of promises of Jesus, all in an incredible, inspirational, miraculous moment with the giving of the Spirit. And where we left off last week, was where many of us may land at any given moment depending on what God's doing in the room. You see, some were, as it says early on in chapter 2, astonished and amazed. But others? That's right. Wait for it. Saying, don't bother with these guys. They've been hitting the brewskis a little hard already this morning. They're they're a little, you know, they've been hitting a little too hard already today. Dismissive. Dismissive. What do we do with the Holy Spirit? What do we do with the church? We get in and we see what happened. We do what God does. Amen? Amen? So this morning, we pick it up with this accusation. This accusation by men that have gathered from all over the place. Saying, either I'm astonished and amazed at what just happened, or I'm going to have to put my head in and wrap my head around it. And the only thing I can say about what's going on here is that these guys are drunk. By the way, that doesn't even make sense because the supernatural manifestation that was happening wasn't so confusing that you could just charge it off to being drunk. You see, people were hearing the great and mighty works of God in their own language when they knew that those who were speaking their own language knew nothing of their own language. What was happening was miraculous. What was happening may have been amazing, but it was not confusing. It was of God. So what do you do? You're there. Maybe you're part of the 120, right? You're there. What do you do? Well, Peter was there. And Peter being Peter, he stepped up and he spoke. 
So this morning as we get into the idea of the day of Pentecost and the wrap-up of what happened, we have the giving, the imparting of the Holy Spirit. There is such a supernatural event that men from all over the world in the fulfillment of Jesus' words in Acts 1a, just days prior, a supernatural fulfillment of that. And so there is a giving of the Spirit unlike any other time. and It's a hallmark of what it's like to be a believer that we are now given the Holy Spirit. We'll see that articulated in Peter's last words here at the end of our, our passage. But see, Peter said we need to clarify because some people are confused. Some people are going to run some spin on this. Some people are going to give fake news. <sighs> Let's look at this. Acts 2, 14-16. What I want to do here is, is the passages we're going to look at because there's a lot here. We're not going to look at every word. Some I'm going to refer to, and those are the two prophecies, one by Joel and one by David, okay? But what we're going to have on the screen today and where I want us to focus is on Peter's prophetic words here. And you say, prophetic words? I didn't know Peter was a prophet. Well, we're going to get into this and we're going to define it a little bit. So, chapter 2, 14 through 16. Let's look at what goes on here. But Peter, standing with the eleven lifted up his voice and addressed them. Oh, here you go, Peter. You're doing it again. Could you imagine being like Thomas or maybe you're Matthew? You turn over to John, you're like, come on, man. You're in the inner circle. Get that guy. Pull him down. You stand up. You speak. Because this guy, we don't know what he's going to say. He's a wild card. Right? But Peter stands up because he sees the need. And he, rem- he remembers Christ's words. You will testify when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And in His power, you will testify to what? To those in Jerusalem, to those in Judea, to those in Samaria, and to the utter end of the earth. It's right in front of Him. And so Peter connects those dots and he stands up and he clarifies Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Hmm. Isn't that fascinating connection to Acts 1.8? Let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. So Peter is listening. He's listening to the criticism. He's listening to the critique. And he's saying, let's get, let's get the facts right here. Guys, none of us have been drinking. And so let's go to empirical evidence. Let's go to what you probably have been taught from an early age. And he starts quoting the prophecy from Joel. And, and you can look at that a little bit later, but understand that this is, uh, this is a prophecy out of Joel 2. Um, it, it speaks to this exact event, but not all of the prophecy from Joel takes place right here. It's a continuation. But he, he talks about the prophecy and it says this, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my Spirit and they shall prophesy. And it goes on and on and on. 
And isn't it fascinating that Paul, just a few years later, he says there's neither Jew nor Greek nor male nor female nor Scythian nor barbarian, for God is in all and over all. It was a game changer. And so Peter says, this is the moment. The Spirit has fallen, and I have all of these different people that are fulfilling the prophecy of Christ, so I'm going to address it, the giant elephant in the room, so to speak. And I'm going to speak to this. And he says, you remember your training in Old Testament prophecy. Let's just go back and look at the words of Joel in case you're wondering what's going on here. So let me help you with prophecy. When we talk about prophecy, the title of today's sermon is Preach It. When I was uh, in high school, it's going to be fun to say this name and see if anybody resonates with this. There was, a, uh, there was a band that was horrible. There were a lot of bands that were horrible when I was in high school. Um, but these, these few blokes were the quintessence of the New Wave movement. Anybody into New Wave that, that was my age? Yeah, there you go, Carl. You're probably going to be the only person that remembers this band. But uh, they had two hits on MTV. Uh, why they were even hits, I have no idea. But one song, I don't even know the title of the song, but here it goes. The first line is, you're going to take a walk in the rain. And the next line is, and you're going to get wet, I predict. Wow, there's some deep stuff. You remember that song? Yeah, I wanted my money back from uh, grad night at Disneyland because that was the band. And uh, uh, it was pretty pathetic. But here's the thing. There are those that when we speak about prophecy, this is a controversial subject. So let me help you. What is prophecy? Now, what we're going to share this morning, we're really going to try to stem from Scripture. We're not going to stem out of tradition or the traditions of the church or any kind of denomination preference. I'm just going to give you what I see out of Scripture. Number one, prophecy was real. It was real in the Old Testament, and it's, it's, it's real now. So what is it? Well, I've got, a, I've got a website here that does a really good job of, of giving some breakdowns here. First of all, there's a couple of things when it comes to prophecy that you need to understand. The New Testament is riddled through, uh, throughout its pages, throughout its letters, with the idea of a prophet. A prophet or a false prophet. And Scripture informs us that we are to test the message of prophets against Scripture to see if it's true. If it's not true, it's not supposed to go so well for the prophet, at least in the Old Testament. At this point, if someone claims prophecy, a word from the Lord, by the way, the Joel passage, if you turn to Joel, uh, not right now, but in your own time, the very first words for Joel in the book of Joel, and Joel received a word from the Lord. How many of you have ever had somebody walk up to you out of the blue and tell you, I have a word from the Lord for you? Okay. So what do you do with that? Because here's this time where, where Peter's saying, this is where he goes. He goes to two major prophecies, and he's going to it to help the Jewish mind understand, look, this was predicted. What you're seeing, it's not men who are, who are schnockered. It's predicted, and this is the moment. Let me take you back to these prophecies. And in fact, Peter is prophesying himself. So what is prophecy? Well, let's... Let's go through a few things. Uh, secondly, uh, well, in 1 John 4.1, that's where you see that we're to test and see if it's a true prophet. 
2 Peter 1, 20-21, Peter says, No prophecy came about by the prophet's own interpretation. That means there's a consistency. If you're going to say you have a word from the Lord, if anybody's going to say they've got a word from God, it certainly has to be consistent with the word of God. Okay, so there's, there's one thing. Let me give you nine things. Number one, it's got to be from the Holy Spirit. It has to be from the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12 speaks about this. It's listed as a definite gift. Not everybody has the gift of prophecy. How many of you have ever taken that spiritual gifts test that's floating around out there? Edition 4032B, right? So I, that is my major gift, is prophecy. So, uh-oh, what's that mean? Pastor, give me the lottery numbers right now. Right? No, that's not how it works. You know, here's, here was probably my first experience with this. Janine and I were starting out in a small Baptist church in my first ministry position, official ministry position. And there was the most precious elderly lady. And her name was Wynne. And she had a face like, remember those little apple dolls? You, right? Just, that was Wynne's face. It was just the most, pre- and her spirit was just so precious. Just this quiet, calm demeanor. And Wynne walks up to me and she says, my husband was an avid student of the Word of God. And I've got these volumes of Zondervan's Pictorial Encyclopedia. Some of you that, you know, you, you know what that is. Um, she says, the Lord told me that He has great plans for you to be used in the pulpit. And I want you to have those. That shook me. Because I'm just... I'm just a goofball part-time youth pastor at that point. And I'm thinking, this is great. I get to take kids for pizza and water skiing. Who's not up for that, right? And I love Jesus. woo But see, what Wynn was saying was prophetic. I still have those volumes. I will never get rid of those volumes. I never look at those volumes because I've got this. I've got everything I need right here. I've got that volume on my Bible software. But I keep those volumes, Right? You see, when spoke because the Holy Spirit impressed it upon her. And her message, hopefully, is true. That brings us to another point. Another way to test a prophecy or someone who says that they have a word from the Lord is that they will always agree with Scripture and what the Lord has previously spoken. Folks, let me just help you with this. I don't have time to get in-depth because... This is a sermon, it's not a class. We can talk later more in depth about it. But this is sufficient for all we need. Many of you have heard that there are a lot of other Gnostic letters out there. And you're going to hear about it during Easter. The History Channel will run a whole thing on the lost Gospel of Thomas. Okay, That or something on Hitler. It, it always sells. Alright? There's a reason it's lost. It's lousy. All right? Now I'm still breathing. So that just verifies. <laughs> that verifies that the, that the Gospel of Thomas is not part of what God intended for this. We have what we need. Now the Holy Spirit helps us understand this. And this is the revelation to mankind to know what we need to know. Not all, but what we need to know about God. Amen? Now, if someone comes along and says, I have new revelation, 
Let me help you with that. They may just be saying it because that's how they've been taught to say it. Don't get scared off necessarily, okay? That may just be our frailty of of how we use language. But if that new revelation goes against what this says, that's not from them. And I'm going to be bold here and just tell you that's how Mormonism started. Okay? That's how a lot of spurious false prophets and religions started. And everybody's looking for something new. Can I just tell you the pressure up here? is for me to have something new and fresh for you people who have been doing this for 40 years, right? Because the guy down the street's got something new. The guy who just wrote a book and has a DVD set or a streaming video set, he's got something new. She's got something new. Get your radar up when someone says that they got something new. Now, if they have something specific for you, that's different. That's different. But a prophet's message will always agree with what? With Scripture. Good. Number three, if they truly speak for the Lord, it will come true 100% to the letter. Now, people who are hearing Joel's prophecy invoked would say, well, wait a minute. Not all of these things came true right now. So, Peter... You're not giving us truth. Here's the problem with prophecy, folks. Is that it's, there's a progression. It's always dynamic. It's active. So if someone, and I've done this in my gifting, that I know the Lord has spoken, but He may not have given me all the details. He told Moses, pick up the people and go. But He didn't give them all the details as to exactly how they were going to you know, go in a certain direction necessarily, at least what we have in Scripture, or how long it would take, or what the land would look like when they got there. He had what he needed in order to obey the Lord. So sometimes people will come along and say, you know, you know, Pastor, you said that if we moved in this direction because you heard from the Lord, we would see all of this happened. And you know what? Um, you were $17 short on your prophetic focus. Or you're $17 over on your prophetic focus. Isn't that amazing? That, that what we want to do is, is if you came up $17 short, we would say you're a false prophet. If we came over $17, nobody's saying one, one word. Folks, if we're going to hold to... Now, we said 100% true. The essence of what God is saying has to be 100% true. Understand that sometimes men get in the way. What you'll receive from me is much what I hear from Paul. When Paul differentiates, there will be times where I say, the Lord has spoken. And we're going to move in this direction. There are other times where I will differentiate and I'll say, I don't know necessarily that the Lord has spoken empirically about this. I get a leading in this direction. But it could be me because of who I am as a person. So let's be in prayer about this. That's the difference. It will be true. There's not going to be vast measures of funkiness there. Um, Four, the prophetic words should be confirmed. The prophetic words should be confirmed. 
Eight years ago, we were trying to branch out with this idea of outreach. And we had done a few outreaches here and there, but I just felt like, okay, how is this really working? You know, we can go out and we can pass out water bottles that have the name of the church on it and, and do that for free and, and speak about the Lord's grace. There's other things that we can do that I read right out of Outreach Magazine, you know. And maybe those work for some people. They do. They do work. But we took a re-examination and said, how did Christ do it? If, if, if this is really important, how did Christ do it? And so we got into the details on this. And we believed that Christ went to what the need was of the people. And He healed that need. He didn't heal the blind man of his lack of hearing, right? He healed the person where the need was. And that drove us to say, what's the need in our community? And one of the um, no-doubters that we saw was the problem that parents had during summer of taking care of their kids. When there's not a school, when there's not a program, when there's, and, and then it goes beyond that because there are summer day camps around here. And it costs you $300 to $450 a week for your kid to be in that summer day camp. Well, what do you do with the single moms or the single dads out there? They can't afford that. Well, we found out because we investigated. Those kids go with them and sit in their cars at work for eight hours. Or those kids get locked up in their homes and they're told don't touch anything for eight hours. Or they're sent to another place of a relative and they're just dropped off and it's not a good situation. And on and on and on and on it goes. And so we felt like this is it. We have the resources. We have the resources. God is leading us into this. And then God provided the people that could really pull this off. And then God provided the finances that, that went way above and beyond. Because here's what happened. Remember, the prophetic words should be confirmed. We were in process. And I thought to myself, this is great. We've got the resources. This is all coming together. This is fantastic in 2010. And we were only going to charge 150 a week per Per child, and that was going to be the least expensive summer day camp program in the entire valley. And we were excited about that. This is really going to have an impact. And the Lord just made it so it, it didn't launch in 2010. And I was so disappointed and so frustrated. And then the Lord spoke. The Lord spoke to me. And part of that speaking was I went away for a day and I used a whole tank of gas. Just driving. It's amazing when you have a whole tank of gas and you've never driven out on these islands in the Delta, how lost you can actually get. <laughs> but it really leads to searching for the Lord. And somewhere out there, the Lord spoke clearly to me. And He said, fantastic. You want to do it as my son did it? He didn't charge anything for His grace. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. No, no, no. Let's, let's, um, let's refocus here. Because obviously you don't know how much this costs. So let's just keep driving. I'm going to reset the prayer and let's have this conversation one more time. And he never let me get away from it. And he says, don't ask for anything. For nothing. You should have seen the elders' eyes when I brought that message to them. 
You should have seen the elders' hearts when it went way beyond what we knew we could ever do. We just celebrated our seventh camp. Starting our seventh camp, we celebrated our sixth camp. It cost us $38,000 for seven weeks. Look around. We have thousands of very rich people here today, don't we? (laughs) But the Lord spoke. Can I just tell you, since I have been here and since we've been listening to the Lord, I'm not, it's not about me. Just, I'm just saying, since I have this experience of being at Conquer Bible Church, let me, let me be real clear about that. This church has always run in the black. The Lord has always worked through His people here. And He has worked supernaturally and it has been inspirational. Not only was all $38,000 provided this year, we were $532 over general budget giving this year. And not only that, we installed a sport court fully paid for $65,000. That does not happen in a church this size. So, did the Lord speak? The Lord spoke. So much so that as I'm talking with potential candidates of, of our student ministries and I'm talking about lifetime with other pastors, I shared how when Becky and Stephen announced here on this stage back in November, or I'm sorry, October, that the Lord was moving them on, and they, they then exited the building. The first three questions I received, not about worship, praise God we got that covered, <laughs> not about student ministries, not even about children's ministries. The first three questions, what are we going to do about lifetime? You see, when God speaks to His people and they hear Him clearly, it comes true. It's confirmed. It's confirmed. I'm spending way too much time on this stuff. All right. They will speak truth with a spirit of humility. You remember Nathan confronting David. Nathan was a prophet, an Old Testament prophet. And he didn't come in with guns a-blazing. He came in with a, 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 a kind of a simile, Right? Hey, uh, David, uh, there's these sheep and there's somebody who's doing this stuff to the sheep and they're stealing it. And, and David's like, oh. And it's like, Nathan's like, really? Uh, think. Think about it. Think about it. I'm having so much fun and I look forward to more and more of these opportunities as, as individuals want to date my daughters. I love having these little Nathan-esque kind of conversations with these young men as they show up to go out with my daughters. And um, it's fun to find out when it actually triggers in their minds the things I'm really saying. Not in a prof- Well, maybe it is a prophetic sense. <laughs> they will speak truth in a spirit of humility. Six, they'll announce sins before promising blessings. Seven, they offend many. If you don't understand what that means, look at Jeremiah. He was not very well accepted by his contemporaries. But when the people are taken captive to Babylonia, oh boy, did they really want to hear the words of Jeremiah. And they focused on it because those words promised deliverance if they would turn in their hearts. They offend many... Number eight, they won't predict new truths about end times and their words will not conflict with or go outside the bounds of Scripture. 
That's our pace here at CBC. When we're, when we're moving into something, for instance, our, our focus on counseling, we're not going to do that until God makes it very apparent that He is behind it. That He wants to see that happen here. And lastly, their gift isn't one size fits all. You know, this idea that, that, that in order to be spiritual, you have to practice this. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the fact that the Spirit gives gifts for the body, through the body, as needed. And that He'll use different people Just like your body has a foot, it has a hand, it has an arm, it has an elbow. Some of us are those components of the body of Christ. And so he may give, you know, uh, let's see, he may give Bobby uh, the gift of prophecy. um, Whereas he may give Brian the gift of of administration or David, he gives the gift of um, uh, tongues from last week. Yes, yes. or gives Ariana the gift of helps, and, and on and on and on. It's not a one-size-fits-all. The Spirit gives gifting as needed according to His determination. So there's some feedback. There's some background. Let's get into these three guys. Peter, Joel, and David, shall we? So preach it. Here we go. Prophecy. You're going to take a walk in the rain, and you're going to get wet. I what? I predict. Wow, that's fantastic. So Peter is this current day prophet through the Holy Spirit. He stands up and he's going to speak God's truth. He's going to refer back to some prophecies that were going on. He's preaching. But he starts with prophecy. He refers to Joel. And there's an Old Testament prophecy about the events that just happened. And the power of the realization of prophecy, it came true 100% of it. And we're seeing the realization of Joel's prophecy even now. There are elements in Joel's prophecy that are are continuing until the Lord returns. David, we don't really think of necessarily as a prophet, but if you look further into the, the, the passage, David speaks about the resurrection of Christ and how no um how no decay would come to the body. David speaks about this a, a, a millennia before it actually happens. And so Peter refers back to this and he says, guys, he's talking about Christ, right? Remember the the start of Acts where Luke says this is about the resurrection, the power of the resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit working itself through you. So now Peter goes and starts speaking to the power of the resurrection that was prophesied by David. And he says something to a degree of, if you thought, if you messed up the prophecy and you thought for some reason he was talking about himself, we've got his grave, it's right over here. He's still there. So it's not him. He was speaking to Jesus. Remember Jesus when he's dealing with the whole problem of Lazarus' death. And what does he say? He says, It is necessary. That I was away. Why? Because this is a typology. It was a sign. Remember, Jews love signs. It was a sign and it resonated after the fact. Because after three days, Jewish tradition was is that the soul could no longer re- remain with the body. At some point in time, the soul after that three days would evacuate the body and then they would transfer eventually the body out of a sarcophagus, which means flesh eater, and put the bones into a small ossuary and that would be in, in the family cemetery. So the amazing thing was is that, that there wasn't even a smell. 
when Lazarus came out. The decay had not happened. This was an archetype, a typology, because Jesus is showing them what's going to happen to him after three days. He's saying, pay attention. This was necessary. You're right. I could have come and he never had to die. But he has to die and he has to go through this process of being resurrected from the dead so that you get it. You're thinking about it and you see how this happens. And it was for your purpose that this happened. Not him. It was for your purpose. And so Jesus is, in essence, giving a prophecy about his own death and his own resurrection. So Peter's inciting Joel. He's inciting David. And where does that leave us? Well, look at this definition. A prophet historically would receive a word from the Lord for the purpose of leading people to repentance and restored relationship. A spokesperson whom God uses for his voice and call to righteousness. That's a great definition of prophecy. By the way, I'm going to have these little statements down here. You can preach a better sermon with your life than your lips. You're going to see those as as we move through from slide to slide. So Peter talks about Joel, and then he goes uh, into more narrative, his own personal prophecy, and we pick it up in verse 22. And what does he say here? He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Remember the part where it says that those who do prophecy are not really accepted well. That it's going to offend you. That what's going to happen is first they're going to mention the sin and then they're going to mention the promise. This is missing from so many of our pulpits today because nobody wants to hear about how they're blowing it. How they're not doing it. And so the rest of the story goes, when Peter started telling them that they actually killed Jesus, now look, there's a lot of people there. And those folks were not instrumental in getting Jesus arrested and hung on a cross. But Peter's saying that they are. How many of you would have walked away at that point? I'm not listening to this guy anymore. I'm going to go to that other church. That other church, you know, over in the, uh, over in the Jewish district. And uh, what they're going to do there is they're going to just talk about the, uh, the covenant of peace. I like that one because, you know, who's this guy think he is pointing to me and saying, I killed Jesus? So there's value in seeing Peter's words and what he's preaching for you and I today. Because brothers and sisters, we're included in that group. Let me help you make the transition. Let me finish this. He says this, God raised Him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for Him to be held by it. How fantastic is that? It's about Jesus. What Peter is preaching is about Jesus. There's no getting around it. It's okay. We got kids screaming out there. Focus. Here we go. They're prophesying in joy. So, for you and I, do we fit with Peter's accusation? Here's where I'm going to break out of preaching and go into teaching. You ready? This is interactive. Jesus died because of what? Sin. For just the sin of those standing there that day of Pentecost? No. How many of us have ever sinned? 
Okay, if you're not raising your hand, you've just committed a sin. <laughs> Let me just clarify. One offense is enough to break us from God. And there's nothing we can do to fix that. But Jesus can. So Peter says, because of your sin, you killed him. You killed him. The beauty of what isn't said right there, but is said in other spots, is because of his love for you, he willingly died that you might have eternal life. But we first have to grasp Peter's wise words. Is that you are the reason he went to the cross. Let's start there. Let's start there. So then he starts preaching. What's the difference between preaching and teaching? Well, teaching is interactive. It's information driven. Preaching, in my opinion, has information in it, but it's meant to be inspired. It's meant to drive change. And often prophecy is included in it. Prophecy will speak to the problem, right? It'll speak to the problem and the sin that's causing the, the separation, but then it leads into the answer and the promise. I see preaching as reaching people. I see preaching as reaching with promises. I see preaching as reaching with purpose. Peter is preaching. He's preaching. So Peter monologued here. It's one of our favorite statements from one of our favorite movies. You caught me monologuing. Right out of... Um, thank you. It's such a favorite movie of mine, I forgot the name of it. You, you all revealed yourself. Peter spoke truth. Clarification was his motivation. His motivation wasn't, not, wasn't to earn the approval of the crowd. It was to clarify so that God's purposes could be fulfilled. What else? He used Scripture as his credibility. This is what it means to preach. He wanted to clarify what was going on. See, a person who who probably has that gift of prophecy and is a preacher through and through, they, they rate real high on that justice level. Right? They really bristle at fake news. So, let's clarify. I'm killing you with the fake news thing, aren't I? Yeah, but I'm keeping you awake. Scripture was his credibility. Repentance was his call. Repentance was his call. These are the hallmarks of preaching. These are the hallmarks of preaching. So as we get to the idea of preaching, he says men of Judah, Jerusalem, and Israel. He purposefully is supporting challenge with credibility. How so? Well, he challenges them saying, you killed Jesus. Whoa, what? How'd that happen? And then he says, look at these prophecies. It is because of sin, it is because of man's ineffectiveness to prove himself holy that Jesus died. He doesn't lean on his own opinion. No prophecy was ever carried on by the prophet's own what? Interpretation. But he relies on Scripture and he uses it for his credibility. You want to you see what the value is of a good sermon? It needs to be shrouded in Scripture. That's where its authority needs to be. Not because a person said it super strongly or said it with a great illustration. 
It's because it's inspirational from Scripture and it comes from God. Purposely speaking to the immediate need. Look, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses to what? Jerusalem, Judea. This is the need. The Holy Spirit comes upon him. He's got it now. And now he's got these men from Judah, Jerusalem, and Israel. So he speaks to the immediate need. This is the moment. This is now. That's a hallmark of preaching and a hallmark of prophecy. He's purposely not holding back. And so much of the time, my friends, that as the Lord may give you something to say to an individual that speaks to their life, we want to make it packaged so well. And as we sit out there, I experience this every year I go to pastor's conference. I feel so bad for those pastors that speak at a pastor's conference because they've got the biggest audience of critics. And so the temptation is to hold back and to package it so tightly and so neatly that, that you get good responses from people. A true preacher of God doesn't worry so much about that. They speak the truth because the truth, what? Sets you free. Free indeed. Purposely providing hope through repentance. This is the pattern of what Peter's saying on this day of Pentecost. He speaks to the need. He speaks to the credibility of Scripture. He's speaking to uh, the fact of being impassioned by the Holy Spirit and not holding back. And you'll see it in the, in the further chapters as we move and move and move through Acts. But then what happens? He provides hope through repentance. What does that look like? It looks like this. And this is the last part. It's more narrative, but there is some of what Peter preaches here. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, what? Repent and be baptized. Do you know there's whole movements right now, it's called the free grace movement, where they say there's no need for repentance. I have yet to have someone who really subscribes to that have an in-depth conversation about this verse. You cannot step into relationship with God and Jesus Christ without repentance. So what is it? It's the key to your Ferrari. How do you use it? First of all, you have to acknowledge that, I have, that you have sin. I have sin. That means I've got to have humility. And that means there's conviction. What, what happened to these people? They were cut to the heart. Do, did we start there? For even those in the room who claim Christ, did you start there? Or were you so enamored with the promised insurance policy that was sold to you that you just signed the dotted line? There was no wrestling with conviction. There was no wrestling with your need for a Savior. There was no wrestling with the sin. It was just, this will provide this. So sign up. That's not how it happened. Let's get back to how it happened. Let's get back to a true, authentic relationship with Him. A true conversion. And there's a wrestling with the fact that I need a Savior. I need Jesus Christ. I may not fully get Him. And by the way, men struggle with the, this the most. Because many of us, and some women too, are wired that we don't need anybody. We can do it. Until we can't. I'm probably going to miss spring training again this year. Thank you. Now that we got that over, I feel so much better. 
But I got some solace in the fact that these storms just keep lining up and lining up. And I was checking in on my angels yesterday, and there's no training. And, and a guy was reporting from there saying, it was such a bummer, because I went, and there's nothing because it's raining. I'm thinking, I would have spent that money to drive all the way down there, and there's nothing. Thank God. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. I have no control over the weather. How come I never thought about that all those other years I went down there? Wow. I really do act in faith. Thank you, Jesus. No. Men, women, whoever you are, that, that your thing is about you control, you don't need. Let me see you change the weather next time uh, it's inconvenient for you. That's my go-to, okay? There's obviously a lot of things we can't control and we can't change. But through the power of Christ, He can change anything if it's His will. The question is, is that what we want? So He says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. This is where it starts. For the forgiveness of your sins. And then what will happen? you will receive the Holy Spirit. This is the game changer. This never happened before. This is the first sermon preached as part of the church. It was the most powerful sermon that we see in Scripture. And what it's like me being given the opportunity to speak before millions of people that will have ramifications for all time and all kingdom and all eternity. What am I going to say? Look into this. He says, repent and be baptized. Repentance is the idea that I recognize that I have sinned and that I cannot do anything to correct that sin or erase that sin, but Jesus can. And I no longer want to be in that sin or practice that sin. So I confess it to Him, but I confess it with the attitude in the heart that says, I no longer want to walk in this. I no longer want to be in this. So you come. You change my life. So now I'm walking in this. It's the idea of going exactly the opposite way of where you were in your sin. And if we haven't addressed that, then I'm not sure that we know the Lord. According to what Peter's saying. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. For the promise, and here it is, for the promise is for you and your children. That would be us. The promise is for you and your children for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. That includes this church here this morning. And listen to these words. And many other words He bore witness and continued to exhort them. That is evidence, scriptural evidence, for not doing a 20-minute sermon, my brothers and sisters. It says, in essence, Peter went on and on and on. I'm not sure what many stipulates as far as minutes. But here's what he says, in essence, that Luke recorded, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Deal with it. Now. Deal with what you cannot deal with by surrendering your life to Christ, repenting, walking away from that. And by the way, this is our part. He doesn't say, let the Lord save you through, which that's how it does happen. Don't, may I not confuse you. 
But there's a choice here that Peter's calling people to. Save yourselves, not because of your works, not because of your own righteousness, but by simply making the choice to what? There's only one choice we have to make to proceed with with salvation. To repent. And to have that faith in Jesus Christ. That He will come in. He will change us. He will give us those promises of eternal life. So how does this break down? You and I have a promise from God that requires a response. For the promises for you and your children. This sermon that was preached on that day almost 2,000 years ago in the temple is being preached right now. And that promise is effective right now. So you have a choice. The choice is, yes, I choose to believe and save myself from this wicked generation. And you understand what we mean by save yourself, right? We do not save ourselves by action, by accomplishing something, We save ourselves by calling on the name of the Lord and repenting, and then He does all the work. Because it's nothing we can do. We cannot do it. Or you can choose this. No, I choose to deny the resurrection and go my own way. Another great song from the 80s. Maybe that's us today. By the way, the only way you choose number one is through the Holy Spirit. That is the only way that thousands made that choice that day standing in front of the temple is through the Holy Spirit. What's the choice? It's to be repentant, place our faith in Jesus Christ, and be baptized. Now, you, you may be saying, well, Pastor, I see repent and be baptized. I don't see place your faith. It's implied in the understanding of repentance. I don't have time to really break that out a lot, but it is part of that whole idea of repentance. So repent, believe, and be baptized. This morning, I have a question for you. Brothers, what shall we do? Actually, I'm going to do what Peter did. I'm going to rely back on the Scripture. I'm going to rely on Peter's words. This was his question on that powerful day at the beginning of the church. Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this morning, I want you to understand this beautiful picture of what happened that day. There were people who started out before this great sermon who said, ah, forget about them, they're drunk. 3,000 came into repentance and faith and relationship with Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit that day. And the reality was this, they came to grips with the fact that they couldn't do it. That our loving God created a way And it required the most violent of deaths, but the beauty of it is the resurrection. It could not hold Him down. I don't understand that fully, but I know there's enough historical evidence to prove that it happened. But there is a faith journey that happens in this decision. This morning I say to you, brothers and sisters, are you ready to repent and be baptized? Is this the moment if you're here today and maybe you didn't 
You didn't hear that. You heard, hey, want eternal life? Want God to smile on you? By the way, you're going to get those things. (laughs) But there was nothing about repentance. And so you've been a little disillusioned. I'm not experiencing this transformational life that the Bible says I'm supposed to have as a believer in Jesus Christ. Maybe it's because you were undersold on what salvation truly is. But there's one defining mark that I want you to wrestle with today. Are you cut to the heart? If you are cut to the heart, then you say, what shall I do? That's the first step. If you are there, the only reason you are there this morning is because the Holy Spirit has you there. Can I encourage you? Then respond yes. And here is my plea to you. The same as Peter's. This morning, you have heard the truth. You've heard the reality that we sin. You've heard the fact that that sin separates us from God. You've heard the reality that was prophesied and it came true thousands of years later. And it's coming true now. And for you and I this morning, the question is, do we have a heart that has been cut open to realize what we need? And if so, have we said yes? Let's bow in prayer this morning. I'm going to encourage you as you are in contemplative prayer with your eyes closed. I'm going to encourage you that if this morning that struck you, what happened? That if there is a unsettling within your soul that you can't describe, that means you're cut to the heart. That's what that means. I'm going to encourage you to make the right choice today. Because either way, you're making a choice. It is either no, I deny Jesus, or it's I don't fully understand and that requires faith, but I know who I am and I know who Jesus claimed to be And there is an unsettling in my heart that I've never experienced. And I'm going to step out in faith and I'm going to repent and be baptized. I want Jesus. I want Jesus. This morning, if that is you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. We're not going to pray a prayer. You're just going to come up to me after service. And share with me, this is what happened. This was my choice today. I'm just going to sit up here on this stool. This is the one time I'm going to ask people not to come talk with me. Unless that is you today. The rest of us, we're going to go get donuts. We're going to love on each other. We're going to pray for each other. But if today that is you, that you are cut to the heart, and it's time that you make the decision of yes, not no, if that is you today, I want you to come up and speak with me. And that's the work of the Spirit in your life. You don't have to have it all figured out. You just have to be cut to the heart. Father, we pray over our service today. We think about the fact that there were over 3,000 that day that had no idea what they were walking into. 
but your Holy Spirit spoke that day. And your Holy Spirit does that continually since that day forward until your Son returns again. Lord, maybe today there's someone here that is cut to the heart. And they're saying, what should I do? What should I do? Lord, come to them now. Speak to them. Give them the boldness to say this, in this moment, I say yes. I choose to move forward in Christ. Not to be stuck in this wicked generation. But to be saved. Thank You, Father. Carry through with us during the week. Let us walk in Your Spirit. Let us take this message to those around us. Let us live full and free lives in Your Spirit, in Your truth. Take our gifts today. Multiply them for Your use. That lives would be changed. Thank You, Father. To You be all glory. In the power of Your Son's name, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we ask all these things in full faith. Amen.